Only in podcast two, ladies and gentlemen. By the time we get to five, you'll all be prone. <laughs> or supine, because I feel it would be wrong to not use both terms. I'm right, aren't I? Prone is face down and supine is face up. <laughs> this is the room where that question can be successfully answered. <laughs> Language is power. Emojis, slang, the subjunctive mood, your mood, my mood, all colour our words with meaning. Interested? Then you're in the right place. I'm Giles Brandreth and welcome to the Have You Eaten Grandma podcast. Hello, I'm Natalie Haynes and I am here to talk to the wonderful Mr. Giles Brandreth and some of his friends. Giles? I'm excited to be here and I'm really even more thrilled that somebody's actually listened to one of our podcasts. The you one don't who, know they've listened. I do. Do you? Because they were in the room when we were recording. <laughs> and they came up to me when we had a little break before doing the next podcast and said, actually, be serious about emojis for a moment. They made a real difference to my life. I and my father had a very difficult relationship. We couldn't really communicate. He's a man who holds everything in, that generation. And I sent him an emoji of a smiley face. And he, sent, he found one and sent one back. And then we developed a relationship through emojis. We began to communicate with these little signals to one another. And it's actually ended up with us meeting up, having meals together, becoming friends again. I can now communicate with my dad thanks to the emoji. Wow. So, there we are. That is a nice story. Yeah. Do you know that Google just turned their salad emoji vegan? Uh, this is Dan Schrieber, everybody at home. <laughs> Hi, sorry. Yeah. Um, but is that a little bit exclusive? We want, I mean... They had a lot of complaints. So they had a salad bowl and it had an egg inside. And everyone went, don't really eat egg, don't really feel that, <laughs> don't feel comfortable sending that emoji. So they, they've taken the egg now but is out of it. You know what, it's... I've been vegetarian for more than 30 years and I'm not affronted by the idea of no. sending a picture of an egg. But what we, what we need is variety. We want one of just a salad bowl, then we want one with the egg in. And are there special ones for people like me in the low-carb community? Uh, that have, you know, you know, bread, rice, pasta, or potatoes, just a, little, a bit of radish and a nut on the side. Is that one Nice. Is? You should set up, you should do, you know, like Kim Kardashian has her own Kimojis. You should do brand mojis. I would you. like to. <laughs> I set think up, so. Set up the Giles mojis. They right? have you eaten grandma emoji. Can I get everyone back from emojis, which was, to, to put it one way, the last programme. Oh, yeah. um, well, it's an ongoing conversation. Yes, That's the is. podcast world. Yes, it you is. Know? It is the podcast world. So long yeah. as we broadcast these in this order, otherwise it's a disaster. Oh, no. But, but yes. Because people, will, once they're all there, they'll be dipping in and out and saying, didn't they discuss emojis once? Let's find that one. Yeah. Are they drunk? Did they forget which programme they're in? Surely they are. Giles, I thought today we might talk about the life-saving properties of spelling and punctuation. I know you feel very strongly about this. Could you tell us a bit more? I'll tell you why I feel strongly about punctuation particularly the apostrophe, it drives me mad. The misplaced apostrophe is one of the horrors of our time. And some people think it isn't important at all. I think it is vital. The reason my little book is called Have You Eaten Grandma is because without that comma, it's very confusing. Have you eaten comma, grandma, means, Granny, have you had your supper yet? Have you eaten grandma means, are you cannibalistically inclined, wanting to consume uh, your relative? And in fact, I... Was it boiled or was it fried? Michael yeah. Gorman of the Queen's English Society, cutting to the chase, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Absolutely. The point being, actually, I have met, I, funnily enough, I have met somebody who did eat their grandma. And no. Herodotus tells us that some tribes eat their dead. Tell us, Herodotus. Wait, we wait was the grandma alive when they got eaten? No. Okay. But tell us about Herodotus. When was he? Who was he? Um, Herodotus, the ancient historian, father of history or perhaps the father of lies, depending on how much of a fan of him you are. Um, and not really a historian by our standards, but a sort of anthropologist, ethnographer. Um, and he went round and interviewed people about their different... Uh, 
habits and customs with their dead and discovered that everybody was appalled by what everyone else did. Um, so some people buried their dead uh, and found the idea of eating them despicable and other people ate them and found the idea of burying them repugnant and other people hung them from trees and found the idea of doing anything else abysmal and so on and so on. So it's a fantastic moment of saying, look, everything is culturally specific and it's one of the very earliest uh, histories that we have. Well, I once met a man more recently alive More recently than Herodotus. <laughs> Seems impossible, Giles. And he told me with pride and a happy smile on his face that he had actually eaten his grandma and his grandpa too. He belonged to the Gadaba people who live in the Indian states of Odisha and Andhra Pradesh. And he explained that it's a Gadaba tradition to absorb the best of your grandparents' generation by eating them as soon as you can after they've died. I mean, it isn't as grisly as it sounds, because first you feed the dear departed to the fish in the local river, and then you eat the fish. So you sort of indirectly eat them? Yeah. Oh, it's a bit like Deadwood, where they give, give the criminals to the pigs. So this is Jill Taylor, everyone, editor from Penguin Random House. Hello, Jill. And no one else is obviously a Deadwood um, fan. That's a nerd. <laughs> Tell us more about these. That's... I mean, we know that these true crime podcasts are very popular. Are we steering into that category? No, no, no. So Deadwood was right before HBO really took off and it was the kind of Wild West of South Dakota. I love Joy in it. Do you remember? Yeah, it's fabulous for anyone who hasn't seen it. But it's how they get rid of bodies because it's the Wild West. They don't want to bury them. They don't want to eat them. Give them to the pigs, and so they all end up eating them anyway. Well, there you are. So it's it's, (laughs) the the reason, to make this clear, you need punctuation. To express all this, punctuation is essential. (laughs) Years ago, I taught uh, English during my gap year to school in Baltimore. And as Mr. Russell, who was the head of English at this school, the Park School in Baltimore, uh, he used to say, without the apostrophe, how are you going to tell the difference between feeling your nuts and feeling your nuts? Uh, The point being that without the apostrophe in the Y-O-U-R-E, and the Y O U R, you can't tell the difference between the two. Although, disappointingly, this is a broadcast, so you can't hear the difference between the two. <laughs> this is why I'm spelling it out. And when people get the audio version of Have You Eaten Grandma, you'll find it takes quite a lot of time <laughs> because I have to spell out virtually every word in the book. So it's quite a lot longer. The oh, audio it's a version. lot longer. We get to hear and hear, and I'm saying H E A R. Uh, H-E-A-R-H-E-A-H-E-R-E. Then I'm having to correct my... It's really... It's quite complicated, but it's enjoyable. (laughs) How many weeks did it take to record? Oh, I'm still... It's an (laughs) on. Feel free to pre-order now. It will come to you eventually. Have you guys heard of the... In in Bristol, there is a a self-proclaimed vigilante who goes around correcting apostrophes. The grocer's apostrophe is their greatest enemy. Yes. Yes. Tell us all about it. Well, since 2003, there's been someone who goes around in the middle of the night. um, They're known as the Banksy of punctuation. And they... (laughs) They go around correcting all of the miss or the left out apostrophes for books, DVD stores, and, and so on. And um, they've been interviewed by the Guardian, who said, "What you're doing is a crime. You're effectively, uh, you know, you're you're vandalizing these people's places. It's a crime." And he he responds saying, "The real crime is the lack of apostrophe or the use of apostrophe in Indeed, places where it doesn't belong." Vandalizing the language. Yeah, exactly. Michael Gorman, are no. you the grammar Banksy? Do you have an alibi? <laughs> Why do you value the apostrophe, Michael? That's what I want to know. Why is it important to you? For clarity, for distinguishing the meaning, as you've just explained. Um, so it's wrong to say you're nuts. You're very wise. Thank you. 
I mean, the late great English novelist uh, Kingsley Amis, he liked to illustrate this, uh, the importance of the apostrophe, by quoting one seven-word sentence in which the placing or the absence of the apostrophe transforms the meaning of the words. I'll give you the example. Those things over there are my husband's, husband apostrophe S, meaning those things over there belong to my husband. Next version, those things over there are my husband's, the word husbands with the apostrophe after the S, meaning those things over there belong to my husbands. I have more than one husband. <laughs> Next version, those things over there are my husbands, meaning I'm married to those men over there. They're like things to me. <laughs> it's like Jar Jar Gabor's in the room, Jar. <laughs> I just don't know what to say. Um, Jill, how do you feel about apostrophes? Well, we've been defending the um, apostrophe, but what about the semicolon? Because it's not ever a necessity, but I am in deep defence of the semicolon. Okay. Good. And, Good. But a lot of people think it's pretentious, or that it's too formal, that it has no role in emails or kind of a modern novel. Oh, I love putting a, a semicolon into a text. I, there's nothing that makes me happy. Better than the LOL. Yes, it is much better than an LOL. It's better than well, all Well, define, things. tell us why you think it's important. Because uh, I'm a semicolon groupie as well. Well, because I think it just hits that fine line between it's too much of a pause to be a comma, but you don't want, it's clunky to go to the next second, sentence. You don't want to start a whole new train. You want to link it. You want someone to pause meaningfully, but then quickly go on. And so it's an elegant. Yeah, and sometimes a full stop just looks melodramatic. Quite. Or, I mean, you said the exclamation point as well. I agree. I think it's quite American to use a lot of exclamation points. As an American, I say that. And so I think a semicolon sometimes just allows you to keep a sentence going. But would you correct somebody over it, or would you just... Well, if they had it in, I'd correct it, or I'd tell them to put it into two sentences. Yeah. What's I mean, interesting think... about punctuation, in a way, is that it does what we do naturally in speech. I mean, you know, if I say to you, this won't take long, but it's important, believe me. The way I've said that implies that after this won't take long, there was a semicolon, not a full stop. There's more coming. This won't take long, but it's important, comma, believe me. It's all there in the punctuation. <laughs> and in the delivery, John. Well, yes, but the point is that that's how you decide what good punctuation is. I mean, or if you wanted to put a comma after the but before it was important, so oh. whether or not you wanted to pause it even more. You're right. It's <laughs> oh, come on, it's, they're juicing up now. This, because now, then, then it's proper eroticism. I, I'll just do the first part. I'll do the first part. I'll do the first part of the sentence. You do the next part, okay? This won't take long. But it's important. Believe me. Wow. <laughs> Can you ask somebody else something now? I'm just going to lie down. Yes. <laughs> Michael, I wanted to ask you if you would um, correct people if you found them making mistakes. I have to um, front up and say I no longer do correct people for an excellent reason and I do not come out of this anecdote well, so I would like you to try and remember <laughs> at the end of it that you liked me a bit before I began it. Because once upon a time I dated a very nice man who had an extremely large extended family um, and therefore every time, now I know, every time he rang home somebody had died. And it often was somebody he didn't really know. It's important that I put these ground rules in because that otherwise I seem even worse. But like he had 85 cousins or something. So just statistically, somebody was going to have died when he rang home. And he once got off the phone to one of his parents and um, I said, as a joke, because it happened every time, oh, who died? And he said, oh, my, my cousin hung himself. And without even thinking, I went, hanged. 
And then went, oh. oh my god, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, wow, was that an inappropriate time to correct someone's grammar? And I literally, I have never done it since because I just thought that that is nine kinds of wrong. I can never speak again. <laughs> so ashamed. Oh. So Michael, are you a better person than me? <laughs> You're all welcome. I, 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 I wouldn't want to correct someone directly in speech like that. But no. It, it was. <laughs> It was a part of my job as a senior engineer to read through reports written by junior engineers, sentence after sentence, separated by commas, very limited vocabulary, very often the use of the wrong word. Um, and it was part of my job to correct that, to produce a document that we could issue to a customer. Yeah. And be proud of. It's about clarity of communication. That is the essence of it. I mean, I, I, I've got a good example, I think, in, in having eaten grandma. Um, uh, at the party, we saw a stranger kissing the host, the hostess, the stepson who appeared as high as a kite, and a budgerigar that had escaped from its cage. That appeared in somebody's letter to me. That's, they wrote that to me. Uh, and they I were was, asking for trouble, Giles. They were, asking, they were for trouble. asking for trouble. And I'm afraid, unlike you, well, it, it wasn't such a serious matter, I corrected it. At the party, we saw a stranger kissing the host, semicolon, because it's a list. Uh, the hostess, semicolon, the stepson, who appeared as high as a kite, semicolon, and a budgerigar that escaped from its cage. You need the punctuation for clarity of communication. That's what it's about. But I've been, if I may tell my little anecdote, you too, may. of an embarrassing moment, a bit like yours. I, not as terrible. Not quite as terrible, <laughs> though so it seemed ashamed. awful at the time. Years ago in America, I was at a party and the lady, the hostess, was a bit tipsy. And it was in the days of telegrams. Do people know what telegrams are still? They yeah, are. We've they read about them in books. They, no, well, yeah. actually, funny enough, they're countries in which they still exist. Russia and Italy still have the telegram service. Anyway, bonus fact. Bonus fact, listeners. Yeah, and Spain only got rid of it last year. Double and, bonus fact, yeah, listeners. Thank you. <laughs> the telegram, basically, was a little piece of paper and it was taken around to your door by a boy on a bicycle uh, and he delivered it to you. It was a little sort of yellow or brown piece of paper wrapped up and it was a few words. Uh, it was like, really, a text delivered by hand. And in America, they used to have singing telegrams. And I was at this party, and they were famous, singing telegrams. And I was at the party, and it was this lady's birthday. She was a bit tipsy. The telegram boy arrived, and she said, Oh, it's my birthday. Sing me the telegram, telegram boy. Sing me the telegram. And the boy said, No, I don't want to. I can't. I can't. And she said, It's my birthday. You will sing me the telegram. So this poor boy opened the telegram, stepped forward, and sang, Tra-la-la-la-la-la, your sister Rose is dead. <laughs> long for that to be true. Um, it is true. It is. It's a bit dated, but it is true. <laughs> Jill, how do you feel about American versus English spelling? As the American in the room, how do you feel about it when you see them? I, I always rather like the practice, practice version, but I don't understand how that works with advice and advice. Oh, I'm, I'm so the wrong person to ask, because actually what I would say is whether or not do you email back if you know that you've misspelled something in an email before to apologise for your misspelling? Or do you just let it go? Because I normally email back to say wrong apostrophe for there or I misspelt such and such and then just leave it there. Do you? Because quite a lot of people, I wonder if that's why people have that signature line on email. So the disclaimer. Yeah. yeah, sent from an iPhone, excuse fat fingers or whatever. You go, oh, you just can't be bothered. Which is fine. <laughs> but then you have to put in from my iPhone on your desk computer. <laughs> so sneaky. <laughs> How do you feel about it, Dan? 
That's um, that key phrase E and E ampersand O E. Errors and omissions accept, accepted. Ah, very useful. I mean, we ought to be perhaps more relaxed about spelling than we are, remembering that Shakespeare, for example, who wrote better even than any of us, um, was doing it in a world before spelling became. You well, know, let's go back before Shakespeare and go to Caxton, who really gave us the English language written. I mean, the first printed books. And there are lots of variations in his there spelling, are. even so within his Sometimes he would bring in a kind of Dutch H, so ghost, for a reason. We, we spell ghost with the silent H because Caxton put it into his first printed books, and that's the only reason why. And so if he liked the look of a French spelling, he would throw it in, or if he decided that English, this was the way it should be. And so when there wasn't a standardised language, he was the first. So if it was good enough for Caxton, good enough for Shakespeare, who spelled his own name six different ways, we know, in his own handwriting, should it not be good enough for us? Well, I think if you are a pioneer like Caxton or as brilliant as Shakespeare, that is fine. But it's rather like, you know, I think we should teach children, for example, how to spell, because... When you play football, you need to know the rules, and they're comfortable knowing the rules. So know the rules before you abandon them. The thing with American English is that they tried to simplify it. It was Noah Webster, and you can correct me if I got this wrong, it was Noah Webster with his first dictionary that tried to simplify English and create a kind of spelling version that made sense. So he logically, he dropped that extra U, because in colour, you don't need the U. Is that so? Agreed. But then also, I think there's the split when... All of a sudden, Americans started to have influences that Britain would never have, like a kind of Native American spellings and words that came into the language. And so then certain spellings were adopted because of that. And so suddenly you have that moment where the two languages do diverge and, and there's not a kind of standardised way. And so they developed more naturally. Maybe there should be, though, because, for example, Webster wanted the word ache, A-C-H-E, to be spelled A-K-E. He wanted cloak as in C-L-O-A-K, to be spelt C-L-O-K-E. I mean, all this, in a way, makes sense. Uh, the only one that actually of his proposed spellings that has lasted is women. He wanted women spelt W-I-M-M-I-N. Yes. And there is a version of mm. women, as in sort of a feminist manifestation of women, that is actually spelt like that. So is there a case for standardised spelling of the English language on a logical basis? But I, 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 this is my personal opinion and not necessarily the Queen's English Society as a whole. All right, American, <laughs> American spelling is the one spelling reform that has really taken root, whereas people like Bernard Shaw and others yeah. um, have proposed very impractical schemes, whereas the American scheme is a, in use by 300 million people as opposed to 60 million of us. Um, and both sides now seem to seem set on their own course, running in parallel, but neither side will ever give way because to Giles, the other. Because, who, who would win exactly. in, well, in I, the great spelling debate? Well, I know. I mean, do we spell draft, D-R-A-U-G-H-T, or are we sensible in spelling it D-R-A-F-T? What should we do? The first one. That's the one you prefer? I think so, yeah. So you, want, you are all for sticking, in, if you're in the UK, spell UK spellings. No, I so well. I grew up in Hong Kong, and I was raised in a an American school. And I moved to Australia, where we went back to the English system. <laughs> and so I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I just <laughs> I I get to a word, and I, it's like if I'm writing mum, it's like a fork. I'm like, do I do I go you? Do I go o? Oh? I don't. I'm I just make new decisions every time. I have no idea what I'm spelling. I see. Think... This is a real struggle for me because I grew up in Birmingham, although I know I've been gone a long time. And so my instinct is to say mom. But, is it? Yes, but everybody in the southeast of England where I now live would see this as being 
an incredible Americanism because nobody registers that Birmingham has its own dialect because Birmingham's not very important to their lives. <laughs> and so I now say mum when I refer to her, but I feel like a terrible fraud. Yeah, it feels a bit too strong, mum. It feels yeah. like a uh, feels like FBI, mum. Yes, yes. where, but whereas mum feels very warm, so I always go from mum, even though my accent would suggest mum. Yeah. Although that's not how anyone says it, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I am an Englishman who grew up in Wales, and in Wales it's mam. Oh, mam is lovely. I yeah, really like it? that. Yeah. Hey, I read it. You grew up in Wales. I read a fascinating thing the other day, which is that the English language has taken more words that are Hawaiian words than they have Welsh words. Well, have you yeah. seen the Welsh language? Have you heard it? It's no surprise at all. We've got a few good ins, like corgis. No, I, it's okay. I'm Anglo-Welsh. I come from a long Anglo-Welsh heritage. I would like to wrap up this programme before you don't sell a single book in oh, no. Wales. <laughs> no, no, because uh, one of the things that is fascinating about this whole thing to do with, with, with spelling is the way, actually, you can communicate quite clearly even if you can't spell very well. I came across some wonderful sort of modern emails, messages sent from people. And this one I loved so much because it made sense. I can't date a girl who is lack, L-A-C-K, new word, toe, T-O-E, new word, tolerance. We couldn't even go out for ice cream. Well, those lack, toe, tolerance, those three words, we know what it means. What does it mean? You can't have dairy. Yeah, it means lactose intolerant. Intolerant, yes. But we got the gist of it. Yeah. So maps we don't need to. Or you have to read it aloud. This is why people have to read Chaucer aloud because the spelling will look alien to you on the page, but if you start reading it and sounding out mostly consonants, you'll, you'll get it, you'll understand it. Mm. But it's, it's when it's on the page and printed, that's when the barrier As comes. a bonus, do you do any chores? Have you got a line? <laughs> I, I love it, because I do find it a bit of a turn-on. Would you give us a <laughs> I, I really couldn't, I really couldn't. Let, well, let's, no. for one, let's do an extra podcast at the end of the series where we all bring our bits oh, of no, Chaucer. That's quite all fun. Right. That would be that quite, is fun, quite fun. Because the Chaucerian language, and you can understand, written in the 1400s, spoken out loud, somehow you can understand what's Ooh, going absolutely. on. Absolutely. And Gawain... And they what's it night? It's wonderful, that one too. I mean, incomprehensible on the page, just fantastic to hear. You have all been delightful. Thank you very much for being our guests, Michael Gorman, Jill Taylor, Dan Schrieber, and of course, the marvellous Giles Brandreth. I've been Natalie Haynes. Join us next time as we debate the bard, the beat, and the long sleep, all on the Have You Eaten Grandma podcast. And of course, if you can't wait, you can find my book, Have You Eaten Grandma? in hardback, audio, and ebook, available now.